Shalom and uh, welcome to this week's class. The title is One Alone and One and Alone. Achieving Jewish Nirvana. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, what is Jewish Nirvana? How do we achieve Jewish Nirvana? As you know, we always start with a modern day issue. Um, that is the sole purpose of uh, the primary purpose of anything Kabbalistic is to make it practical. How can we be a better mensch? a more observant mensch, and a more connected mensch. So what is the modern-day issue? The modern-day issue for today is nirvana in Judaism. So what is nirvana? Nirvana is a place of perfect peace and happiness like heaven. In Hinduism and Buddhism, nirvana is the highest state that someone can attain, a state of enlightenment, meaning a person's individual desires and suffering go away. Okay, what does nirvana mean in Judaism? How is it obtained in Judaism? And what are the fundamental differences between nirvanas as it exists in Judaism from as it exists in Hinduism and Buddhism? What is the differences and more importantly, how do we get there? Well, for starters, um, the Hindu belief in a god or in many gods, uh, some places documented up to 300 uh, million gods, is a complicated issue and not one that we will discuss uh, here. However, in Judaism, in which there is only one God, and even deeper yet, monotheism in Judaism does not mean that there's one God versus many gods, but what it actually means is monotheism is saying in Judaism that God is everything and everything is God. There exists nothing else but God. That is a true definition, as we will see in the class, when we say Hashem Echad, God is one. And that is a true definition of Jewish monotheism. So, what is the uh, Jewish nirvana? It is when we get to that self-sacrifice of ego to the point where our entire identity is but part and parcel of God is everything and everything is God. That is where, it is only there, where the notion of nirvana, which is nor sense of self, is found. Another fundament of nirvana in Judaism is that rather than being of abnegation, isolation, no, Jewish nirvana drives us into engagement. Nirvana in Judaism is to find God and our oneness in God in our physical engagement, in our mundane activities of life as well, and not only in spirituality, meditation, concentration, and prayers. Okay, this lecture is based on a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, delivered on this Shabbat in 1969, exploring the mystical teachings concerning God, His name, and the Jewish people being one, alone, and one and alone. Okay, let's put in an introduction, how we get to this topic even today. So um, this Shabbat, in the Jewish calendar is the ninth day of the Jewish calendar month, Kislev. Now, it is both the birthday of Rabbi Dov Ber of Lubavitch, born in 1773, and it is also the day in which Rabbi Dov Ber's holy soul returned to its creator in the year 1827. So it's both the birthday and he passed away on his birthday. Um, one year, just an interesting fact of what happened, one year prior to Rabbi Dober of Lubavitch, 
um, prior to 1827, in the year 1826. Uh, he's also known as the Mittler Rebbe. You'll see me referring to him today as the Mittler Rebbe. Um, uh, so one year prior to his passing, on Sunday, October 29th in 1826, the Mittler Rebbe was arrested on charges that the funds he was raising for Jewish causes was against, were against the Tsar. And because that uh, liable was placed against him, he was arrested. Just shy of two months later, on the 10th of December, which coincided with the Jewish calendar date of the 10th of Kislev, the Mitzler Rebbe was released from prison and allowed to return home. One year shy one day. That means on his birthday a year later, the day before the anniversary of celebrating his release from prison, on his 54th birthday, the Mitzler Rebbe returned his holy soul to its maker. Okay, so here we have two days. The 9th of Kislev, which is the Shabbat, which is the birthday and the Yorzeit of the Mittelter Rebbe. Then Sunday, the 10th of Kislev, one year prior to his passing, it is also the day of liberation from the Tsar's prison of the Mittelter Rebbe. So these two days, the 9th and the 10th of Kislev, are an auspicious day of celebration in Chabad. Now, in Chabad, the primary way of celebrating any auspicious day of any one of the Rabbeim, any one of the day of the Rebbes, the primary way of celebrating includes focusing on a mystical teaching, a mimer of that specific Rebbe. So it was in 1968 that the Rebbe delivered his own mimer based on clarifying and discussing one of the Maimorim of the Mittelter Rebbe. Okay, I want to share with you that the mystical teachings of the Mittelter Rebbe are very mystical and very deep. However, in this lecture, the teachings and the concepts will be made clear and practical. So, I want to share with you one of the most famous mystical teachings of the, <coughs> excuse me, Mittelter Rebbe is based on the prayer of our Shabbos afternoon. Shabbos afternoon, Shabbat Mincha, in the Amidah, we say the following paragraph, and based on the opening and closing verse of this paragraph is the focal points of this teaching. So let me read to you the prayer. You are one, your name is one, and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth? an ornament of greatness and a crown of salvation, a day of rest and holiness you have given to your people. Min Shabbat. Abraham rejoices, Isaac exults, Jacob and his, in his, and his rest thereon, a rest of love and generosity and a rest of truth and faithfulness, a rest of peace, serenity and security, a perfect rest with which you find favor. May your children recognize and know that from you is their rest, and by their rest they sanctify your name. So this prayer is talking about God, His name, the Jewish people being one, Echad, that's the opening verse. And then it talks about the greatness of the gift of Shabbat that God gave us, the day of rest. And then it closes with that by us resting on Shabbat, by us doing this mitzvah, we sanctify God's name. Okay, the discussion here is on the Hebrew word of echad, 
mentioned in the opening verse three times. You are Echad, your name is Echad, and who is like your nation, the people of Echad on earth. Another focal point is on the last verse, in which even though we established already in the opening verse that your name is Echad, holy, special, nevertheless, the closing verse says that the Jewish people, by resting on Shabbat, they sanctify, they make holy the name of God. But we already said that it already is Echad and holy. Let's us discuss these two points. Let me explain these two points, what the discussion and the question is in the Mimer, and then we'll be able to understand what is the deeper meaning, the more practical meaning, and how to achieve Jewish nirvana. So, concerning the word of one in Hebrew, there are three words I want to introduce to you, and with this, I also want to introduce the difference of each one of these words in Hebrew. The first one is Rishon. Rishon literally means first. It is used only when we are counting as Rishon, Sheni, Shlishi, first, second, third. That one is not going to be discussed today. The next two are going to be discussed. Echad. The word means one. However, while it isn't used for counting, nevertheless, it is used for counting. Yeah, that's a Jewish paradox, but so it is. For example, in Genesis, when we count the seven days of creation, the verse says, and it was the evening and the morning of day, Echad. Then after that it says, the next paragraph, day, Shani, so forth and so on. So we're using the word Echad, and we're using it as in counting the, the first of the seven days. Therefore, we have a concept in Judaism which is called Echad Hamonui, the Echad which is part of accounting. And the paradox here is, that on the one hand, it is counting, a number that we use in counting, echad, but on the other hand, it stands separated. It's not like the word rishon. In Kabbalah, this paradox translates to that on the one hand, the thing that we're referring to as echad has a relationship to the other things that we're going to count. On the other hand, it stands aloof and separated from the other days. So there's the paradox. Echad, which is counted together with the others, but it's counted as Echad, not as Rishon, because it's not clearly connected. It stands aloof and above. In Kabbalah, there's another teaching on the concept of Echad. Echad refers to a one that is made up of a compilation of many. For example, when we say one person, Echad, we're saying a person is one, but he's made up of a complexity of organs. So there you have the two sides of echad, that it's accountable, but it's a loaf. It is one, but it is made up of many, a compilation, a complexity of many. Now, let's talk about the word yachid. The word yachid in Hebrew, this word for one can be used only when it is not associated with any others and is only used when this one is alone. So too it is never used when the one is a compilation of many, of a complexity, but only when we are talking of a oneness of one. So the difference between Yochid and Echad, which will be most of our conversation today, the difference between Yochid and Echad is that Echad is a one that relates to many, 
it is also a compilation of many in its own right. Yachid is only alone, and it's only when it's a oneness of oneness and not a oneness of a complexity of many. Okay, now we can understand and appreciate why our sages ask a question. In our Shema declaration, when we say, Hero Israel, God is our God, God is one, we say God is Echad, Hashem Echad. Why don't we use the more powerful word and say Hashem Yachid? First of all, when we count, when we talk about God, we can't use any number that would be associated with accounting because there is no other gods but God alone, Yachid. So too, when we speak of God, God is not a compilation of many parts. Rather, the essence of God is the oneness of one and the simplicity of existence. Thus, we should have said Hashem Yachid rather than Hashem Echad. So now we understand the question there. Now I want to just share the answer concerning the Shema, and then we'll go towards our verse. Why does it say, you are Echad, your name is Echad, your people is Echad, rather than saying, you are Yochid, your name is Yochid, and your people are Yochid. But let's first answer the Shema question. So the word Echad in Shema denotes, it has three letters which denotes Three different concepts. So let me begin by clarifying an interesting custom, and I'll show you how it's done. When we say, <coughs> excuse me, when we say the word echad, the last word of the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, we have our eyes covered, as you know. While we say the word echad, we move our head in all six directions, up, down, right, left, front, back. Why? Well, this has to do with the three concepts of the word echad in this verse. Aleph is the numerical value of one, refers to one God. Chet is the numerical value of eight, which refers to the seven heavens and the one earth. The Dalid refers to the four directions of the universe, north, south, east, west, right, left, front, back. Now, when we say echad, what we are saying is, we are declaring that God's oneness is not only as God stands above and before creation, but rather what we're saying is, Hashem Echad, by moving our head in all the directions, we're saying that God's oneness exists in the complexity of the universe. For as I said before, God is everything and everything is God. Thus, within God, there is no complexity, for everything is Him. Thus, we use the word Echad and not Yochid specifically to tell us that we're saying Hashem Echad. Hashem is not only Yachid when he's, there is nothing else, there is no universe, there is no creation, there is no complexity, but rather God's oneness and simplicity of essence is drawn into the complexity of the universe. We'll talk about this more as the primary purpose and mission of creation. Okay? But now we understand why we say Hashem Echad and not Hashem Yachid, because we're focusing on the oneness of God as it's drawn into the complexity and multiplicity of the universe. Now, this, however, cannot answer concerning our Shabbos afternoon prayer. 
Now, to understand this, I'm going to get mystical for a moment. The word echad, as I told you, stands above and aloof, but in connection to. The word echad, therefore, on a mystical level, can only refer to the infinite light after it was processed through contraction and concealment in order to be able to relate to the distinct forms and shapes of complexity that exist in the universe. Were the infinite light not to have been contracted and concealed, then all of, all of creation would not be a complexity of so many different creatures and so many different forms and shapes, both spiritually and physically, but rather it would have just been a oneness of simplicity. The reason why we have a complexity and multiplicity in the universe is because the infinite light went through a contraction and a concealment. Thus, the word echad refers to the infinite light as it was contracted and concealed and relates to each and every creature in its own form and shape and definition. Now, Shabbat, and especially Shabbat afternoon, which is called the will of wills, Riva de Riven, there it is the secret of secrets, there, there is the revelation of the infinite light as it is primordial without contraction, without concealment. Thus, the experience of Shabbat afternoon in its great glory is specifically the revelation of Yachid, not Echad. We're talking about the infinite light as it is within itself in a true definition of oneness of oneness and not oneness of complexity. Thus, Shabbos afternoon, we shouldn't have said, you are Echad, your name is Echad, your people are Echad. We should have specifically said, you are Yachid, your name is Yachid, and your people are Yachid. This is concerning the concept of Echad and Yochid, the word used in the prayer when we're talking about one. God is one, his name is one, his people is one, or one. Now let's talk about the second concept, which is the holiness of the name. So, another introduction is the closing verse. If you, I'll reread it for you so we can have the closing verse again. The closing verse of this prayer is, And may your children recognize and know that from you is their rest, and by their rest they sanctify your name. We sanctify God's name. Now the question here is that the holiness of God's name was already proclaimed in the first verse. In the first verse we already said, And your name is one. When we say the word one, we mean distinct, holy. So exalted. Thus, why do we have to say that we then on Shabbat sanctify his name when his name is already sanctified? I'm going to jump ahead of myself and connect these two points and just share with you that the answer is going to be that the name, the holiness of the name in its own right is the holiness of Echad. What we do with fulfilling the mitzvot and the mitzvah of Shabbat is bring the greater, higher Yochid into the name, which on its own is only Echad. In other words, we bring the essence into the name. That is what Jewish people do through Torah and Mitzvot 
as we will explain further on. But now let's start the lecture. So you got the introductions, you got the, what the what the uh, focus is on in that prayer, the difference between Echad and Yochid, why do we refer to God, his name, and his people as Echad, when we should have referred to it as the higher Yochid, and also what is the change in the name. There's the holiness of God's name, and then there's the extra holiness that we are mandated to bring into his name through our service of God. Okay, as you know, I always start the class with a list of the mystical concepts we're going to discuss, and I'm going to go ahead and give you that list. It's a short list. It's love to and of an only child. The relationship between a parent and a child when the child is an only child is an unparalleled love. Next, I want to talk to you about the two mystical metaphors that are used to explain divinity, name and light. And then the last thing I want to talk to you is that which is beyond the name and the light. Okay, let the amazement of Hasidus begin. There are two primary mystical concepts that we are going to focus on. One is uh, the source of the love that exists between a parent and a child, and specifically when speaking of an only child. The other is about the different examples that Kabbalah use to explain the flow of divinity, specifically name, as in God's names, and light, as in the infinite light. Through these two mystical concepts, we will understand why the verse refers to God, his name, and the Jewish people as Echad rather than as Yochid. And then we're going to jump into the practical, what would it mean and how would I achieve Jewish nirvana? Okay, I'm just going to put it out there, you know, so many times we go to other, other sources, secular sources, simply because we're not aware that it exists by us. Um, most people probably wouldn't know that nirvana exists for the Jewish people. What is that nirvana? How do we obtain it? So in search of nirvana, we go to drink from other wells. Well, the job of here is to know, let's, let's bring it all home, people. Let's bring it all home. It all exists within Judaism for Jews. Now, let's go ahead. <sighs> Love to and of an only child. So here is an introduction to this, a very short one-sentence introduction. Every creature experience, every concept that exists in the universe has its spiritual source. And actually it exists only because it is from its spiritual source. So too concerning parental love to a child and a child's love to a parent. And specifically when it comes to the love that exists between a parent and their only child and between an only child and their love and, the, and their parent. Now, I want to just share that logically, there makes no sense that there should be an unparalleled love when you have an only child versus when you have many children. You know, I'm sure many of you parents, as myself, was asked by our kids, Tati, who do you love most? And uh, they'll never understand until they have more than one child that there is no such thing on the deepest level. Yes, maybe parents get along better with one child than another. Maybe parents are uh, like more the behavior and disposition of one child than another. But when it comes to love, the unconditional love that exists between a parent and a child, it exists to every child as if they are the only child. From a child's perspective, that's simple. From a child's perspective, from his individualism, his relationship with his parent, he is an only child, regardless if there's other siblings. 
he or she is in their individualism an only child to this parent. So too from the parent to the child. Because we're talking about the unconditional love between a parent and a child, we're talking about a love that exists not because of who and how and what this specific child is. This is a love that exists because only this child is a child of this parent. From that perspective, every child is an only child, regardless of how many children there are. Thus, where is this notion amongst humans that there is the love, specific, unparalleled love between a parent and an only child? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, a story that happened, uh, whatever got to it, got to it, but a story that happened with my grandmother back in the day. Um, you know, can you choose which child to give away? Well, you have so many children, they don't have no children. Why don't you give them a child? <laughs> You can't do that because it's not giving one of many children. It's giving one of only childs. And that's the way it is. So let's go ahead and talk about where this exists in Kabbalah. In Kabbalah, love between a parent and a child, and we're soon going to see that this love of a parent and a child, the way it is above, is by an only child, which is what makes the love of an only child so unparalleled. But it exists from the relationship between God and the Jewish soul, the neshama. Now, to understand this, let's look at the peculiarity there is in the creation of the soul. So if you turn to Genesis, you'll see that the creation is always through, and God said, let there be. The only exception is when it comes to the soul, it doesn't say, and God said, it rather said, and God breathed, vayipach, and he breathed in his nostrils a soul of life. What does that mean, breathed? Why, is the diff why does it change the terminology from said? God could have, could have said, and God said, let there be a soul of life within man. By the way, even in the creation of the body of the human, of Adam, it says, and God said, let us make mankind. It's specifically only about the nishama, the godly soul that it says, and he breathed. The Zohar picks up on this, and the Zohar explains, and I will quote to you the Zohar. The Zohar says, He who blows, blows from within. That is to say, from his inwardness and his innermost being. So the Zohar is quoted and explained in Tanya as such. Now, I want to, you'll notice in my notes, I have a note here, and it says, the word in the verse is vayipach which is not the Hebrew word for normal breathing, which is noshem. When a person's breathing, it's noshem. Vayipach is a deep existential breath. So therefore the Zohar says that when it says the words vayipach, and he breathed, and God breathed into the nostrils, he didn't say. Saying is an expression of the external nature. I'm saying something to you. Even thinking is external when we talk about I'm thinking to myself. I'm already having a conversation with myself. Breathing, vayipach, that type of deep existential breath is coming from the innermost existence. Thus, every other creation has an external relationship with God, and God said, while the neshama, 
the holy soul, the godly soul within each and every Jew is Vayipach. It's exactly like where a child comes from a parent, from the deepest as existential part of the parent. Thus, there is the love between parent and child, which is a reflection of the love which exists only that son-parent relationship child-parent relationship which exists only between the godly soul and God. Now I want to also add on that when we talk about breathed, a forceful blow out, what we're also denoting is not where the soul comes from in its source, but the verse that he breathed into the physical nostrils of Adam, which means that even the way the soul from above descends into the physical body, it is in the dimension of breathed. It is in the dimension of being in the connected to the essence of God as a child to a parent. And thus, that unconditional love exists. Now we understand the notion of an only child. Because, not only because only the godly soul comes from the breath, the essence of God. No, it's more than that. It's because within the essence of God, there can exist nothing but the definition of only as yachid, truly alone, is the soul in its relationship with God. Now, we can understand that in essence, this even makes the question bigger. Why do we say your people echad on earth when what it should have said is it's yachid on earth because by definition the soul is an only child, not a one child, an only child connected with the onlyness of the essence of God. Okay? Okay. Let's go to the next point, which is name versus light. So let me give, a, again, a brief introduction. The metaphor, the metaphors that Kabbalah and Hasidus choose when they explain a concept of divinity are exact. So much so that if there is ever a need, if it's ever applicable, Kabbalah and Hasidus will point out to you in which side, on which point, the metaphor is not exact to the divine concept it's explaining. Therefore, this exists also when we talk about divinity and divinity flow, we talk about God's names and we talk about the infinite light. There is an exactness to each one of these metaphors. And they're not just synonymous, because then we wouldn't have two metaphors, we would have one metaphor. There are two metaphors, they're not synonymous, and they're exact in their prescription. So let's talk about what exactly is the infinite light, what exactly is a name, and we'll understand what exact properties each one of them bring out in which dimension they're talking of divinity, of God. So let's start with the light. When we speak of the metaphor of light, there are three concepts involved. There's the light, or, there's the source of the light, or, and there's the relationship between the two. 
an example, there's sun, there's its sunlight, and there's the relationship between the sunlight and the sun. And we get to know the sun through its sunlight. For example, we understand from sunlight that the sun has heat, the sun is light, has light, it's brilliance. The sun has the healing powers. The sun has the power of causing growth. And all of this we know not from the sun, but from its sunlight. Thus, when it comes to sun we, or light in general, we say, or me'ain hama'or. The light is of the kind of its source. Thus, from studying the light, we can understand the source or aspects of the source. What light is not, what, what, what property does it not have? Light is not a piece of its source. It is only an external expression. That means within the source, there's the source and there's the way the source externally expresses itself. The light is a ray of the external expression of the source. So we have two properties. We have the property that the, source, the, slot, the light is of the kind of the source. Thus, we can get to know the source from its light. And on the other hand, it is not a piece of the source. Now let's talk about the properties of a name. When we talk about a name, a name of a person, we find the exact opposite properties of that of light. When a person is called by his name, the entire person reacts and turns towards the calling of his name. Calling a person by his name can take him out of a deep stupor. Not only that, calling a person by his name can also, we are taught, bring a person's essence back into his consciousness to the point that when a person faints, by calling his name and by calling his name, we bring him back. Because the name is a piece of essence. On the other hand, the name reveals nothing about the essence. As you know, you'll have many friends that have the same name and they share nothing in common in their personalities, in their traits, intellectually, emotionally. They're completely different, but they have the same name, which means that the name does not describe the essence or every person that has the same name would be alike in their personalities. Okay, thus what do we see here? What we see here is that Kabbalah and Hasidus, when they use these two different metaphors, they're talking about different dimensions of divinity. One dimension, as we'll soon see, is that of light, and another one is that of name. Now, I want to just make this simple. You know, we're getting Kabbalistic here. I want to make this simple. On a simple level, when we talk about the concept of light, we're talking about the concept of revelation. That's the job of light, to bring revelation. When we talk of the concept of name, we talk about essence. Now, revelation, by definition, cannot be talking of essence. Revelation is the description of. We'll see later that you can't, you can't have a revelation of nothingness. So when we say about the, the light, we're talking about revelation. When we talk about name, we're talking about concealment. Okay.
Now, that is a simple way of saying it. Now let's connect this back to our conversation, name light. Let's connect it to Echad and Yachid. The one, which is one of countable, and the Yachid, which is the one which is alone, not part of, not a compilation of. So, here is the interesting facts. When we talk about creation, the mere existence, as I said before, that there is different finite shapes and definitions of each creature, both physically and spiritually, that tells us that this needs to be coming from echad. It needs to be coming from concealment of the infinite light, contraction, like I mentioned before. Were there to be the revelation of the infinite light, there would be no complexity. Everything would just be part of a oneness and a simplicity of mass. The fact that mass has so many different forms and shapes as the complexity of the universe and all the creatures within the universe, this tells us that there had to be the concealment. Thus, when we talk about name, concealment of essence, we're talking about echad. When we talk about light, revelation, we're talking about yachid. Therefore, the revelation allows for nothing but the oneness. It is the concealment that allows for complexity. Now, on the other hand, the mere fact that this echad concealment brings into existence ex nihilo, something from nothing, that's one thing that humans or no creature can do. We can only create something from something. We can't create something from nothing. That lies only in the bosom of the essence of God. Thus, when we have echad, we have everything that there is in a name. There's the concealment, not revelation, so that there can be finite complexity, description, form, and shape. But the fact that it's ex nihilo tells me that it's essence, the concealment of essence, but it's essence. On the other hand, yachid, light, it comes from the revelation of the infinite oneness of simplicity, and thus it screams out that there could be no other, it's Yachid alone, not one of many, not one made up of many, and not one which is associated with many. Rather, it, it stands alone in the primordial revelation of the infinite light, Yachid alone. So now we know that name is Echad, which tells me that Echad is a compilation of many, and it's also concealment of the essence. So you have the essence, concealment, complexity. While when we talk about Yachid, we're talking about the infinite light, we're talking about revelation, we're talking about simplicity and aloneness. Okay, so now we can move on to the next concept. Because what we just discussed here is that there is a vice in name and there is a vice in light. The vice of light is that while it is revelation, it's not essence. It's a ray of the external, the external expression powers 
of its source. It's not the essence of its source. So that's the vice. The vice of name is that while it is a piece of essence, but it is stuck in concealment. Now let's explain this for a moment. By its very definition, revelation cannot be essence because revelation has to define it has to reveal definition. There has to be boundaries. There has to be what it is and what it's not. And I'm revealing that. But when we talk about the essence, and the only word we can use for essence is nothingness, so to speak. How can you reveal nothingness? So revelation cannot apply to essence, and essence by definition defies revelation. Thus, how can we talk about bringing these two together? How can we talk about that the purpose of the creation of the universe is to bring the revelation of essence into all its details? So let's talk about this. This is interesting because we talk about why did God create the universe, which is going to answer what is my purpose in life. My purpose in life is part of the purpose of the creation of the universe. What is that purpose? And the answer is that in order to create a physical finite world, God used his name, i.e., God used the essence to bring ex nihilo, but he used the concealment so that everything should have its own finite definition and shape and complexity rather than having the entire universe being one mass of simplicity. But then God wants us in this world of darkness, concealment, he wants us to bring the revelation of his essence. And we do that through Torah mitzvot, as we'll soon see. However, by definition, God is asking for the impossible. How can you have the revelation of essence within details? A, how can you have the revelation? Essence defies revelation. It has no form or shape. You can't reveal nothingness. And on the other hand, nothingness and simplicity, how can it be revealed within details? Thus, I want to introduce you to a magical concept in Kabbalah and Hasidus. And I'm going to be very brief about this. The essence, please follow with me. The essence that is stuck in concealment is a finite essence how can that be essence is infinite so let me say it to you in another way the finite which is stuck i'm sorry erase that the infinite which is stuck in being infinite and cannot be finite is finitely infinite i want to say that again the infinite which is stuck in being infinite is finitely infinite because it's stuck in being infinite and not finite. That, by definition, means it's finite. The essence that can only hide in concealment, in simplicity, and cannot reveal itself, and reveal itself in the details of complexity, is a finite essence. Thus, the essence of name is actually the lower essence because it's stuck in concealment. However, there exists a higher essence which flows freely 
through concealment and revelation equally. Nirvana, we're going to soon see, is to bring this essence that flows freely within details, within revelation, into all the finite details and even mundane physical details of our life. Thus, we now understand what the mission is. You see, you are one. Your name is one. When we say you are one and your name is one, we're talking here of a oneness, which in its own is stuck in simplicity, stuck in concealment. Thus, our job is to bring the higher essence to which concealment, revelation, simplicity, and details are all equal, equal expressions. It flows equally within all. To bring that into the name so that we can experience nirvana not just in our isolation, but in our engagement. Thus, we now understand the closing verse as well. The name of God is holy in its own right. But what kind of holiness? Its holiness is that it has the essence of God within it. But the essence that is the lower essence, which is stuck in, conceal, in conceal, concealment and, sim, and simplicity. Then, when God gave us the mitzvah of Shabbat, and we as physical Jews, dealing with financial struggles, emotional struggles, physical struggles, and yada, and yada, and yada, and all the struggles of the darkness and coldness of the physical world, and we keep Shabbat, what we're doing is we're bringing the higher essence, the essence to which all is equal, concealment, revelation, simplicity, complexity. Thus, we are sanctifying God's name with a, holier, with a holier sanctity than the God's name, so to speak, had on its own. And thus, the closing verse, and they will sanctify your name. And this is done through Torah and mitzvot, but we're going to soon see that it's done specifically and only in a selfless Torah and mitzvot. Because Torah and mitzvot is the revelation of God's will and God's dominance and existence in the world. However, when we talk about the Torah and mitzvot being the revelation, if the person doing the Torah and mitzvot has involved ego, this ego negates that the higher essence of God should flow through the Torah mitzvot. Thus, when Torah study and mitzvah observance, prayer, good deeds are done with ego, they are a revelation, but not of the essence. The purpose of creation is to have the revelation of essence. The revelation of essence in the details of our life can only be done with the self-sacrifice of ego, of narcissism, of self-centeredness, of any identity other than to be 
God's window through which he shines. Thus, we now have the understanding of sanctifying his name is all about bringing the revelation of essence, but bringing the revelation of essence takes the self selflessness, the self-sacrifice of ego in our Torah and mitzvot and our good deeds. Now let's close it up and talk about Jewish nirvana. According to, Je to Judaism, the definition of nirvana as the final goal in Judaism is precisely the revelation of essence within all our details. The question is, how do we reach this Jewish nirvana? The first step to reach nirvana is to reach our inner essence. In order to reach our inner essence, we must first get all of the noise out of the way. In order to free ourselves of our paradigms and our feelings, I think, I'm stuck, I feel. In the secular realm, the art of meditation with breath work and mantras are used. However, in Hasidis, the path is through Torah study, concentration, and focus on the teachings specifically concerning God, which helps the human being to find true humility. Important, not humiliation or self-belittlement, but true humility in self-realization of who we are in our truest sense and in the face of the truest of all beings, God. However, in order to truly reach Jewish nirvana, this humility of self-realization cannot remain just an inner and a spiritual experience. For then the inner oneness and inner congruency will be disturbed with the dichotomy between our inner spiritual experience and our outer practical day-to-day -day life. Rather, we need to carry our sacrifice of ego into a life of study and actions, which for a Jew is primarily Torah study and mitzvah observance. This is how we reach Jewish nirvana. And here I would like to borrow a slogan from addiction recovery. Jewish nirvana is a matter of progress and not perfection. Remember that we are not looking for the completion of an experience outside of us, but rather we are looking only for a continuous progress of an inner experience of aligning the essence of our soul with all the details throughout the rest of who we are. That, my friends, is Jewish nirvana.